Amen. You may be seated, church. Thank you so much for not quenching the spirit that God wanted to bring about this morning. And uh, he is sovereign. He's in control. We can trust him in all things. And um, one thing we can be assured of, he's not through with his work. He's not through with his church. All he's looking for is he's looking for some obedient followers and believers. Followers, not fan. There's a difference. And he's looking for obedient churches to come together in what is one day closer to the return of Christ. And he's looking for us to be about what we should be doing and what he's called us to do. And so we have been in a series, and we actually conclude this particular series, but what we don't conclude is what this series is about. And so our heart is that this series is more than just another sermon or more than just another Bible study, that we literally take what God is showing us through this series and through this passage and apply it. Or as James said, uh, don't just be hearers of it, be doers of it, so that God can be honored and God can be glorified. And so we've been in this series, Awakening, and I want to remind you, uh, and I know some of you weren't here, but I want to give you the takeaways for each week that we've been in. The first week, uh, we said that unity and God's glory are key in ingredients for sharing God's story. Well, God's story is the gospel. The gospel is the only uh, thing that has power to change lives, Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and 16. And um, it's such a blessing when we see life change and we exist to be God's hands and feet and vessels to help bring about life change or to introduce people to the life changer. And so our job is not to change. We don't have the power to change somebody. Our job is just to be the mouthpiece. And so I was so excited and delighted when I heard from Jason Rickles, who's in our adopted city that we adopted back in 2013. And um, he uh, was telling me, giving me an update on the trip so far. And he said, man, he said, we're staying out. Normally we get to stay in the courtyard with the people in their home, in their courtyard. And it's such a blessing and a, and a treat to be able to do that. And, uh, but they had had uh, Saja, who opened up his uh, home to us. He's the leader. Uh, and the uh, elder there in that particular courtyard, and his brother had passed away, and uh, so they had family coming in, and so they were not ever they were not able to host our team overnight. They host them during the day, uh, but they were not ever able to host um, Jason and Pastor Darbo, a translator, with him. And so they put them in a camp, and I've been to the camp and I've seen it. And uh, Jason was like, man, they've got us at the camp. He said, it'd be a little different. He said, but you know, it's okay. Well, then he updated me like the second or third day, somewhere along there, at least track of days. And uh, the guy who runs the camp and kind of keeps it together for them, uh, they led him to Christ. And so he got saved at the camp where God wanted him to be at the camp. And then... God transformed, God transformed him through salvation, lit a fire in him. Jason texted me back and he said, man, this dude is very like educated. And he said he knows French very well. And a lot of people over there, French, they know French and speak a lot of French. And he said, he said, if y'all can get me a Bible in French, he said, I will begin to lead people to Jesus and teach and disciple them. Can we give God glory for that? That's what God's doing. All the way on the other side. All the way, as the Bible says. And that's what we say. We're an Acts 1-8 church. We're here to be as witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. And so that's why God put that vision. That's why we exist. We exist as a church, okay, to help people find direction in life. That's simply who we are. It's our vision. And uh, we, have a, we have a visual that drives that. That's why it's planted on this. It's just a four-step process for discipleship. That any believer or any person who's a Christ follower can check their own, can gauge their own life and go, How's my worship life with God? 
Am I really uh, being self-navigated toward God? Am I navigating others toward God through personal worship during the week, through corporate worship? How is it looking in my discipleship? How about the fellowship camaraderie with the body? How about living life with others? Am I engaged? Am I engaged with a small group family within a big family? Am I serving and using my uh, spiritual gifts to serve Christ? Because he's gifted every believer at least with one gift, if not a mix, to serve Christ. Am I serving him? Am I on a serve team? Am I looking out for those yet to come? And, and, am I being obedient using my gifts as Paul talked about? And am I witnessing? Am I sharing my faith? Am I, am I, am I, am I, do I have the heart? Am I taking part in praying and giving and going? Am I asking God if he wants me to go to West Africa? And that's one of the things that I told our 9 o'clock service. I said, I know some of y'all have been struggling with this and, 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 and the whole deal over the toilets over there, all right, because we're way out there in the rough. And Jason said, the camp has western toilets, so stop making excuses, some of y'all, okay? It, 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 you, listen, you don't have to worry about mastering the squatty potty. We can put you in camp with a western toilet and everything will be a-okay. But for some of y'all who like it a little rougher uh, and say, that's okay, man, I don't care what it's like, you need to get on board and go and God will take care of you and give you a huge appreciation for how he's blessed you here. But that's our heartbeat. And even had the Spirit working and he said, we've got, he said, we've got somewhere close to seven people. He said, a few of them, he said, feel pretty confident they get it and they've already given their heart to Christ. And he said, the others, it looks like, are going to follow through. And so, so we started planting in 2013 with a heart to help people find direction in life. With a heartbeat, as we kicked off Awakening Week 1, where Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, he said, Father, I pray that they become one, talking about those who had already committed to follow Jesus, that they become one as you and I are one. And I pray that you not take them out of the world as soon as they respond to salvation. I pray that you leave them in the world. Well, well why in the world leave them in the world, we might ask for those who have yet to come to Jesus Christ. And so when we, look at, when we look at God's heartbeat, God's heartbeat and Jesus' heartbeat, and that's Luke 19, 10 has been our key text. I want to read it to you real quick and show you how this ties in with our heartbeat and our DNA. In Luke 19, 10, you'll see where Jesus said his purpose for coming. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the what? The lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. That's his heartbeat. You look all through Scripture. Even look at the, the, the divine vision that God gave to us, and then even the visual to drive it to go northeast, south, and west, helping people find direction in life. What does that mean? That means being obedient to going and sharing. That means being obedient and having a heart for church planting like the early church. That means being obedient and having a heart to encourage those church planters um, that uh, I, we get to encourage through the week that are out there doing church revitalization, trying to keep churches from closing their doors. And to be obedient to what God's called them to do. That's God designed the church to do that and ordained the church to do that, to be a living organism, to be the ecclesia. Literally, the word church means the called out ones, not the gathered, sit all the time, know everybody inside the four wall ones. And so that's the ecclesia, that's the church. And so God said, I want to bring unity into the true body of Christ, and then I want you sharing the story. And so those are key ingredients. Then we said week two, the goal is to never forget the value of a lost soul. And we talked about the one sheep to where the shepherd was so passionate, and he wasn't satisfied with 99 sheep being okay and being in the fold. He was burdened about the one who was out there who was not part of the fold. And Jesus' heartbeat, we see compassion. And, and, and even when I think about the visual God's given us here as our unique vision, and, and you can learn more about that on November the 15th. If you want to partner and become a part of a church and become the hands and feet of Jesus, and the Spirit's leading you here to Smoke Rise, then you come November the 15th to what we call Growth Track. 
and I will be over in the fellowship hall, and I will share what God has given. This church is the vision of this church, and share how you can be a part. So mark your calendar for that. And so we'll be over there in Growth Track for those of you that are feeling led to go through, or maybe those of you that have been here a while and you've never been through. I think you, I really encourage you to seek the Spirit because I believe He'll lead you to go through that. Because he wants you more involved in the DNA and the purpose and the heartbeat of his church to help be his hands and feet. And so we'd love to have you in that. But just the whole fact that he's led us. And he did, it's not anything original to go northeast, south, and west and help people find direction in life. It's the original mandate of the commission, of the Great Commission. It's what he's left us here on earth for. But all through the life of Jesus, even when I think about the compass and I think about that driving the vision that even God's given us here, I look at the heartbeat of Jesus, and you'll see in the heartbeat in the ministry of Jesus, and you're going to see it in the text, and you're going to see it in Scripture, that when he saw the multitudes, when he saw those yet to come, the Bible says that he had what? Compassion. 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 You spell the word out. And I thought, wow. You can't even see the word compassion without seeing the word compass. You can't even see the word compass and compassion together without seeing the very reason God left us here, and that's to go northeast, south, and west, having people find direction in life with an original mandate, the Great Commission. And so the, the question is, God, where do you want me to be in that, and how do you want me to strategically come along and serve in that? And so week three, we said last week, we said there's always space and grace at the Father's place when we talked about the prodigal son. And so we said there's always space and grace at the Father's place. And so it's that moment when you come to your senses as the prodigal did. And he said, I'm tired of wallowing in the pig slop. I'm tired of, uh, for us that would be, I'm tired of tracing the, chasing the American dream. I'm tired of thinking that another relationship besides a relationship with Jesus Christ is going to sustain me and make me strong. So when you come to that point and come to your senses and say, I'm tired of chasing the things of the world, I'm tired of the addictions, I'm tired of those things that can't bring me uh, fullness and happiness and peace, and peace is on, uh, there, there's no peace, but the pleasure is only temporary, and then the consequences and the weightiness of my issues are even mounting, I need Jesus. And until we come to our senses and say we need Jesus, then God can't really help us. And so today we move into this last takeaway of this series, that the takeaway is this, a heart of mercy and a heart of ministry reflects the heart of Jesus Christ. Now, let me remind those of us in here who are Christ followers, okay? And then I'll say a word to those who are not yet. And I say not yet because I, I believe, I'm confident that God wants to draw you to salvation. But for those who are already a Christ follower, I want to remind you that when you respond to Jesus Christ and the drawing of the Holy Spirit, God is not there just to offer us a get-out-of-hell-free card, okay? He, he, that's, that's not his priority. That's one of the benefits but that is not the reason our heart is moved to say, I want a relationship with Jesus Christ. So when we say we want a relationship with Jesus Christ, we literally, to become a follower rather than a fan, we have to deny ourselves. We, we have to die to ourselves. We have to die to our agenda. We have to die to our life. And then we have to take up our cross and we have to follow Jesus. And so what happens when an awakening comes in your heart and your life is that you've got to go back to the drawing board, even if you're a believer, and you've allowed other things of the world to come in and take priority when God's left you here for one purpose, and that's to point people to him and lead them and disciple them, not to have the best ball team, not to have the biggest house, not to have the cars, greatest cars, nothing wrong with all those things, unless you're putting them before leading people to Jesus and discipling them. And that's, that's the heartbeat of Jesus. I've left you here for one reason, 
And that's to, that's to use how I bless you. It's to use your hands. It's to use your mind. It's to use your talents. It's to use your uh, stewardship and your sources to point people to Jesus Christ. And so a heart of mercy and a heart to minister reflect the heart of Christ. Now, I want you to look at Luke chapter 10, okay? We're going to break this down real quick here in our time that's left together. And uh, we're going to break down this entire, there's certain sections in here that we're going to break down, and I'll lead us through them. But the first section is we're going to look at verse 1 and verse 2. And uh, I want to make this um, statement, all right, this, this fact, basically. And it is this, and we find it in this passage. Somebody's got to lead the way. Somebody's got to lead the way. You mean, you mean so what do you mean somebody's got to lead the way? Somebody's got to lead the way in what? Somebody's got to lead the way and being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And so what we see in this text is, in verse 1, is we see that Jesus, he has called 72 followers at this particular moment to get outside the four walls of the temple, to be obedient, and to lead the way. So I want you to look with me in uh, Luke chapter 10 this morning, and you can follow along in your Bible there, and uh, I think we'll have it on the screen. And, uh, but it says in verse 1, uh, it says, after this, the Lord appointed 72, there they are, others, and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where himself was, was about to go, where he himself was about to go. Notice he sent them in front of him. Now, that probably wigged some of them out a little bit. But fortunately, some of them had grown in their faith enough and desired it and remembered why God had left them here more than any purpose. So they were eager and they were anxious. But, but if you'll notice, even in his own 12 disciples that he called, even with a replaced disciple when they replaced Judas, um, Judas, they had to grow in their faith and grow in walking in his anointing and his authority because it wigged them out when he looked at them and said, uh, hey guys, I'm leaving this thing with you. And they're like, whoa, wait a minute. It kind of scared them. But they had grown to a point in their faith where they had seen God move and they had seen and understood the presence of the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit would, 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 would rest on them and the Holy Spirit would be with them and the Holy Spirit would guide and lead. And so they knew they weren't walking in their own ability or their own authority. So they went ahead. And Jesus sends them with marching orders and he says, you go ahead. I've got some ministry to do here. But guess what Jesus was saying? He said, I am equipping you to do the work of ministry. He's saying, don't think I'm going to do it all. Don't think I'm going to do it all. I'm the chief shepherd. My role, as Paul talked about in Ephesians 4, and that's what Jesus was declaring, and then declaring even down through the church, even to shepherds that he would use to lead the church and to lead the flock. He said, your role is to equip the body to do the work of ministry. That's why my heart was so blessed, even over this tragedy yesterday, to see the body doing the work of ministry. To see lay people with a heart to love as Jesus loved. To not sit back and go, well, that's not my job. That's the staff's job. But to be there and say, we're, we're a family. We're a team. We're a team and we work together. We serve together. And that's what Jesus is saying. He wants everybody to have a heart of ministry and a heart to minister uh, that reflects the heart of Christ. And that heart of mercy shines through. But somebody's got to lead the way. And so he had a remnant that he could count on. Well, I want to challenge our, uh, I've challenged our staff. We've challenged one another. Our senior ministerial staff means that we have every week. And we realize God's called us to lead the way when it comes to getting outside the four walls. When it comes to having a, a heart of mercy and a heart of ministry, God's called us to lead the way. If you're a Sunday school teacher, a small group leader, or whenever you lead small group, God's called you and there's an expectation to help lead the way, to be involved outside the four walls, to be serving. Chad was so encouraged. He uh, leads um, 
our seat to street ministry and is, uh, is our serve coach. And so his heartbeat is to help lead and get us outside the four walls and love on particular subdivisions and communities and people that God sends us to so that we can love on them. And, and, and basically, he said, man, he said, we had 15 people sign up last week. There's a little sheet in there. 15 people said, count me in. Count me in. I want to be a part, whether it's flipping burgers, whether it's face painting kids, whether it's just getting out there and building a relationship, getting to know somebody. Count me in. And so what that says is, and that's what Jesus was about, why it moves his heart. Because when Jesus would go into a neighborhood, he would go in and love those people. And if his disciples come up and tried to take his time, he would look at them and he would go, hey, we got all week to talk. This is not a moment where I'm here to talk with you. I'm here to reach those who have yet to come. I'm not here to get up in my buddy circle and only talk to my buddies. I'm here to love on those because when he saw the multitudes without a shepherd and those who had not been transformed by himself and drawn by the Spirit or had heard the gospel, unreached, unengaged people groups like God led us to in 2013, it says his heart was moved with compassion. And so he said, I'm here for them. You know something else he said this to a group of people? His disciples didn't quite get it, and they were growing too, just like we are. And he looked at his disciples because they thought Jesus was too, his agenda was too tight, and nobody ever had a busier agenda than Jesus had in his three, three and a half years of ministry. And his disciples looked at the kids, and they're like, look, don't bother Jesus. And you know what Jesus looked at his disciples and said? You just bothered me. You bothered me. What are you saying? I'm saying... I'm saying you do not stop the little children from getting to me. I always have time to sit them on my knee. I always have time. Don't you ever exclude them because he had such a heart and he had such a love for children. And so when we go into these neighborhoods, we go into these communities. God's going to stir, starting some of your hearts already, that you're going to be a part of helping love on those kids. You're going to be a part of ministering those kids. One lady come up to me a month ago or so, heard the vision about being outside the four walls, heard the heartbeat. She comes to our first service, walked up to me, and she said, the Spirit of God spoke to me and said to put a gift bag together for every kid in that subdivision. She said, and we'll take care of it. I said, praise God. Thank you. That's willingness to be equipped. That's willingness to say, God, I got a heart of mercy. I got a heart to minister. God, I want to love these children like you would love them. And that's how God starts hard. Somebody's got to lead the way. So staff, small group leaders, Ministry leaders, we lead the way. That's, that's, that's God's desire. We lead the way. Lay people, you won't be able to sit back and not get involved if your heart's in tune with Christ. You won't be able to sit back and be okay with a minority doing the majority of the work if you're really in tune with Christ. God will move your heart to get you outside of your agenda that goes on every week that may not be reflecting a heart of mercy and ministry for all of us. God will begin to move your heart. And you'll say, i got to be a part, and I want to get in on this. And God will begin to move your heart. And can I tell you something? I don't care what is going on in your life. I don't care if you're going through a dark time and you're going through hardship. When you get the focus off you and you step out to meet a need or touch somebody else, it'll do something inside of you and you'll say, I can't get enough of this. And that's why. Because Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, I didn't come to be served. I come to serve and give my life a ransom for many. And nothing moved the heart of God and brought glory to God and brings a party to heaven. As Shane told Hunter out there a minute ago, he said, What's, what, what, what was heaven doing when you confessed your sins and accepted Jesus? And he said, throwing a party, daddy, throwing a party. And it's the only reason heaven throws a party when one lost sinner comes home and gives their heart to Christ. And so, so we're going to be doing some partying, all right? I hope you get in on the party. And I hope the partying of that and the purpose God's left us is more appealing to you than the partying of the world or the personal agendas. 
So God's going to call us literally to have a, to have a Mark 10.45 heart and a heart of mercy and ministry. God's going to call us and stretch us all, counting me, starting with me, to die to self. To be reminded of dying to self. To be reminded of dying to agendas. And so open yourself. Open yourself up. Leaders, lead the way. There's an expectation. Lay people, don't you wait. You say, I want in, I want in on it. You come, but just know you got leaders and pray for your leaders. And we're so grateful for our leaders that lead in these positions of ministry. And you pray that they be encouraged. Because can I tell you something about those that lead these ministries? Can I tell you something about team members sometimes that may be the only one that shows up on their team? It gets discouraging. And God, God's heart is not moved by the fact that a minority does the majority of work. And that's not just in this church. That's in every church. Whether that be serving, whether that be giving, or whatever. Because more can be done the more obedience that people have in the life of the church. God does more. God moves more lives. God does more mission. God does more ministry. The question is, you seek the Spirit and say, okay, God, where do you need to bring me in alignment with that? But somebody's got to lead the way. Secondly, second fact, sometimes it will seem like you're going at it alone. What do you do when that's the case? What do you do when it's just like, man, I just feel like, man, whew. I'm weighted down. I can remember when I had such a heart, but I'm kind of losing heart. Seems like nobody else wants to be a part of loving Jesus or serving Jesus. What do you do? Well, look at this verse 2 right here. Here's what Jesus said, do. Because it, it, it burdened his heart, too. He said, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful. He said, let me break this down first. He said, the, 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 there's plenty of children who have never felt love. There's plenty of children out there in the highways and hedges who have never felt the Father's love. There's plenty of orphans out there to be taken care of. There's plenty of widows out there who don't know what it's like to have a conversation with anybody because nobody cares enough and they're not worth their time to come by and see them. There's plenty of addicts in the shadow of your steeple and your Jerusalem that are hurting. They just want to know, is there a God that cares about them? And can I say they're not going to see you at the local ball team with everybody that you already know? Can I tell you they're not going to see that love inside these four walls? They're not just going to come here to get it. That's why Jesus said, I didn't come for the well. I, di I, didn't, I didn't come for everybody who's got the nicest outfit and knows one another and talks to one another and won't break away from their inward group to love on somebody yet to come. I, I, I didn't come for those who seem to have it all together. I didn't come for those who become so internally focused that they forget why I love. I came for those who are sick. And what he reminds us of if we've been changed by God, it's His grace because by the grace of God, there go I when you see someone who may be struggling. By the grace of God, there go I. That very well could have been me. So we never, we never turn our nut. We shouldn't because that basically I want to puke. That's called lukewarmness. And so that's the heartbeat of Christ. And, and I'm so glad I got to say this because sometimes when you preach these messages, they're kind of stout. And they're really stout to somebody who's just kind of living your own agenda in your own world and, you know, you're... you're, you're, you're your gift to God is, hey, I showed up for you on Sunday, you know? And, and sometimes that's the mindset of people. And God's not impressed with that. God's not impressed with that. God, God is moved by a heart of mercy and ministry, and that's why he gives this passage that we're going to read in a minute about the Good Samaritan. Because he deals with those who are so busy, and some who could say they're even doing good things, and their busy agenda, but they're walking by the ministry needs around him. There's plenty of ministry needs, he said. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Let's just stop and pray for that right now. Pray with me. But let me say, don't pray this with me until you've made your commitment to God. I'll be your hands and feet. Use me however you want to. 
if you'll do that. Make that commitment first, and then come in unity with me, and let's pray this. Father, in Jesus' name, the name above all names, thank you first of all, God, for not letting us forget how much you love us, not letting us forget grace, God's riches at your expense, Jesus, and, and not letting us forget our purpose. Thank you for your word that reminds us. God, I want to thank you, Lord, for these servants, God, that lead, God, week in and week out, God. Those that lead small group, help shepherd, Lord, your flock here. God, I want to thank you for those that, that lead the serve teams, God. I want to thank you for those team members, God. I want to thank you for the committed ones, the consistent ones, God, that show up week after week, Father God. And Lord, I, I pray you would just encourage their spirit, Father Lord. Lord, I pray you'd remind them that it got very tough for you, Father God. That, Lord Jesus, it got very tough for you when everybody turned their back on you. Even your closest people went to sleep on you. And, God, I pray that you would remind us that greater are you that's in us than he that's in the world. And that, God, it's always worth it to serve you. And I pray you'd encourage the spirits, Father, this morning. And God, we right now covenant together in Jesus' name, God. Those that have made the commitment, God, to be your hands and feet for your glory, not ours, not our pat on the back, not look at me, Father, but for your glory, God. Would you raise up laborers, God? Would you raise up more serve team members? Would you raise up more small group leaders, God? We are totally dependent on you. Would you take that person in this room, Father, that says they can or thinks they can't, God, and, and would you put on their heart, God, to begin to open their home and invite one more couple, God, and then maybe one more, Lord, to, Lord, just start growing, Father, in your word and fellowship, God. Lord, would you send us labors, God, to accomplish your work, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. I believe in the power of prayer. God will answer that prayer. So sometimes it seems you're alone. Jesus says pray. Another fact, go even when it doesn't make sense and the odds are stacked against you. Look at what he told them to do, the 72. Now get this. <laughs> he tells them this. He says, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out. Now look at this. Somebody got to be going at this point that doesn't quite get it all or understand it going, Jesus is crazy, man. Jesus is real crazy. He said he's going to stay behind. He's sending us out into the wolves. And we're just lambs. He says, I'm sending you out. Now for us, let me break that down. What does that mean for us? That might mean Rottweilers, German Shepherds, guns. You know what I'm saying? Uh, violent situations. He says, I'm sending you out. And that's what God impressed on my heart and my spirit a little over a month ago is that God impressed on my heart and my spirit that even though we know the Lord Jesus, when he returns for the church and the bride of Christ, he will not set foot to the ground. He will call up the believers of Christ. The trumpet will sound. He will call us, snatch us out of the world. The world will be in chaos, trying to explain it away, figure it out. But you won't hear the truth. I can assure you of that. You won't hear the truth of really what happened, but he will snatch us away. But the Spirit of God impressed on my heart and said, but what if Jesus did come back on a Sunday, set foot to the ground temporarily in your community, in my community? Where would he go? You know what the Spirit of God impressed on me? He wouldn't go inside the four walls of the local church. Not on a tight agenda. He would go in the highways and hedges. He would go to the addict who's never going to break the addiction without the help of Christ. He would go to the little child who just needs a family to love him. He would go to the single mom 
who the last thing she wants to do is go back to a domestic violence relationship, and that's why she's working two jobs. And he'd love her. And he'd go to the harlot like he did by the woman at the well. That's where he'd go. And maybe on his way through the end of the day, he might stop by some of the churches. And he might give a message to them, but it might not be with the type of love that he'd give for those yet to come. It might be you're inward focused. You're selfish. You're living more for the world than you're living for me and the reason I left you. It might be a stern message. It might be a wake-up call. It might be a reminder. And can I say that I'm grateful that we're not going to sit back? You've got a senior ministerial staff here. I believe you've got small group leaders. I believe you've got ministry leaders here. We're not going to sit back because we know we're going to give an account one day. And I want to give you this sobering thought and this probing question real quick. The Bible's very clear that Jesus gave us a command as believers. And in short, basically, it was lead people to Jesus Christ. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. He says, and I'm with you. I'm with you in the Spirit. He dealt with that. He dealt with that issue. So go and make disciples. Now, let me break that verse down, okay? Let me tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, go and find the pastor, go and find the staff, and tell them to make disciples. It doesn't say it. It says we're all to do it. It says everybody's to be willing to be equipped to do it. I'll tell you something else it doesn't say. Let's stretch some people. It doesn't say, go and make disciples, then find the ordained minister to baptize those disciples. It doesn't say that. It said go. And that command was to who? Every believer that would follow Jesus Christ. Go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go when it doesn't even make sense because the chief shepherd will take care of the wolves. And that's what he's saying here in chapter 10 and verse 3 and verse 4. He even told them, he said, don't carry a money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Well, I thought he was sending them out to greet people and love on people. No, he's saying, do you get to the houses, the destination, the neighborhood I'm going to send you? Don't get distracted. What does that mean for us? Don't stop at Stuckey's. When you get off the Empire exit on November the 8th and say, I'm going in to help love on a neighborhood and a community. Don't stop at Stuckey's unless it's a carpool. All right, we'll give you that, that reason. But go where I'm calling you to go and love. And he even breaks this down. Look, he breaks this down after he says go when it doesn't make sense. And when the enemy, you know why it doesn't make sense? You know why you're going to feel like a lamb before the wolves? Because the enemies of hell only hate the churches that are outside the four walls. The people who are inside the four walls that are focused on their own agenda, that don't really care why God left them on this earth, that's what the, that's what the enemy's doing. Thank you. Thank you for making sure you get your padded seat to sit on your blessed assurance. Make sure you get your uh, cu- uh, cu- cup of coffee, uh, you know, and your jelly donut, whether the guests get one or not. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's what they're doing. And Jesus is saying, lukewarmness. No, 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 it's not about you, he's saying. He's saying it's about making sure 
that those yet to come, they're loved on. They're being led to Christ. Go. He said, don't get caught up in everything that you're going to uh, do because the devil's going to try to make excuses. Why is the devil going to try to tell you to worry about this? Why is he going to tell you it won't work? Why is he going to tell you you're crazy if you go up and knock on a drug addict's door because out of love you want them to meet the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and you tell them how he's changed your life? I can tell you why. Because he doesn't want you on his playing field. But God will take care of that, he said. The Holy Spirit will take care of that because the Holy Spirit is ahead of us. The Holy Spirit's always ahead of us. God just needs our obedience and our availability. So pave the way with peace. Look at verse 5 through verse 12 as we wrap this up. I'll make two more statements after this. Let me read through these real quick. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Wait a minute, I thought he wanted multiplication. No, no, no. He's saying, go to that neighborhood, go to that house, love on them till God says leave, and make sure you're speaking a word of peace and a word of love and a word of hope. Don't neglect it until you have enough team and people to to, to walk away and say, now we're going to do it over here where God's leading us. And you go and you stay till I tell you to stay. Now, here, here, here's what he said. Whenever you enter a town, they receive you. Eat what is set before you. And that's where I say amen. And I love hanging out at buffets, speaking to people, all right? That's what I tell him, man. He said, eat what's put before you, man. I love buffets. All right. But, but in all seriousness, he said, don't offend them. Be grateful for it. You know, he's not saying lie to them. You know what I'm saying? I, how, how was it? Oh, it was delicious. You know, it's, oh, just so it was, it met my needs. You know what I'm saying? Met my needs. All right. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now watch what he says. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, and this is going to shock some of you what he tells them to say. He says, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Now what he's saying here to break this down in the context today is he's saying that if you encounter someone who just basically is re- totally does not want the love of Christ, they, they have the heartbeat of rejecting or mocking Christ, and, and you've done everything to be peace, you've done everything to be love on them, there may come a time when he says there's others who are willing to accept. It's time to move on from that house. It's time to move on because there's plenty of work to be done. And then he said in verse 12, I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of Sodom than for that town because of the desire to live in wickedness. Now, that could be a country where the desire to go their own way and their desire to have a love for the same sex and their desire to kill and murder babies where God says, I can't bless it. I can't bring honor to it because it it upsets the, the, the very nature of who God is in his love. And takes away from his purpose when he's the authority of life. And then walk in authority and don't forget the bigger picture and where your authority comes from. Look at verse 17 through 20 real quick. He says, the 72 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Catch this. That the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What is he saying, Pastor? I'll tell you what he's saying. He's saying that if you're not careful, he said that if you get out there and you begin to see an awakening and the power of God fall, and God, you begin to see demon-possessed people set free and demons coming out of people, he's saying you better not stay focused on the power. You better make sure you stay focused on the person who has the power. 
who's bringing that about. He's saying you better make sure that you're not going around and patting yourself on the back or, or, or patting your church, you know what I'm saying, on the back and doing it with the wrong motive. He's saying you, you don't forget. The thing you need to rejoice about is your name's written in the Lamb Book of Life. Don't you forget the person and the sacrifice and get amazed and caught up in the power. So don't forget that your name's written, that the, the Lamb of God's written your name. And then last, as our band comes, some are too busy talking about ministry rather than demonstrating mercy and meeting the needs around them. And here's the passage I close with. In verse 25 through 37, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, despised the, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, that's what, that's what people want to do, they want to justify themselves in their actions. He said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed. You know, I said Samaritan. I wonder... I just even think about conversations I've had this morning. I wonder if this Samaritan was so moved with compassion to help him because they knew what it was like to not have much. To not have their life all together. He said a Samaritan as he journeyed. See, the Samaritans were the ones called dogs by the Jews. The harlot at the well was a Samaritan. So the templeized people, the churchized people, focused on the outside with all their stuff together, they were bothered by the fact that Jesus would take time to go in the highways and hedges and talk to the harlot at a well. well you can bet Satan was too, but he lost the battle. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that too many times in the church, we're like the priest and the Levite. We're too busy doing our own agenda, and sometimes we can justify that as a good thing that we're doing, and we're walking right by the true ministry needs around us. And Jesus is saying, be like the Samaritan. Put your faith in action because your words and your Bible studies and your theology means absolutely nothing unless you have a heart of mercy and ministry. That's just the truth. That's what he said. So he went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Excellence, going over the top. Which of these, he said, three, Jesus said, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor so that the man who fell among, uh, to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said this. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And you know what Jesus said to him? Here's what Jesus said. He said, you, you, sir. He said, you, ma'am, 
he said, you, sir. He said, you, ma'am. He said, you, sir. He said, you, ma'am. He said, you. 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 Go and do likewise. Go do likewise. Get outside, you little... self-centered zone get outside your little self-focused circle and put your eyes on the multitude get out in the highways and hedges and I want to I want I want to conclude with this time of response because this is going to hit hard it's going to hit hard on everybody in this room including me it's going to hit hard and it needs to hit hard we've established that scripture is clear that Jesus left us here for one purpose it wasn't to chase the American dream it wasn't to build our personal empire it wasn't to get distracted by the things of the world it was to lead people to Jesus Christ and to disciple them so that they would turn around and lead somebody and disciple them so we all as believers will stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, which means he'll be highly elevated on a Bema seat like they were in the original track events, Corinth. And he'll be seated high above, and we will come, and we will give an account. And when Jesus looks at you as a Christ follower, if you're a Christ follower, and he says, do you remember why I left you on earth? You go, yeah, I remember because our pastor kept preaching and preaching and preaching. You left me there to point other people to you and lead them to Jesus. And then when he says, how many did you leave? How many personal people did you leave? How many personal people did you disciple? Because you know what he wants to do? He wants to take that crown because there'll be crowns. And he wants to take that soul winner's crown. And he wants to place it up on your head. And he wants to say, God, he wants to say, this is God's gift, even though you're going to turn and lay his feet. And, and he's wanting to say, thank you that you didn't listen to the lies of the devil or you didn't depend on somebody else to go do the work of an evangelist that God called every believer to do. Enter in, well done, thy good and faithful servant. So here's the deal. I know some of you are nervous and intimidated. That the very thought of you leading somebody to Jesus scares you to death. If it weren't true, then there'd be more than 1% or 2% doing it. But I tell you what, if you'll surrender yourself to Christ and keep the mindset of by the grace of God, there go I, and you'll say, Jesus, I do not want to stand before you one day without at least attempting. He's not even going to hold you accountable by having you lead to Jesus. The accountability is going to come where you're obedient to attempt to lead people to Jesus. Because it ain't about you. It ain't about me changing somebody. We can't change anybody. We just, we're the mouthpiece. We're the vessel. But I want you to think long and hard. And in this time, in this prayer, it's twofold. First of all, it's to those that would say, Lord, I do not want to stand before you without doing everything I can to lead people to Jesus. And I, can I tell you something? There's enough darkness that if you'll make a commitment that you're going to lead somebody to Jesus before you die, you will have that opportunity. 
99.5% of you will have that opportunity. Just got to shuck off that fear, shuck off the lies of the enemy. Say, God, here am I, use me. And then the second part, you may be here today and you may, be, say, I, you may say, I'm the one. I'm the one yet to come, but God's drawn me here. I'm the one that heaven hasn't thrown a party yet because I haven't died to myself, confessed my sins, and asked Jesus to save me. Well, you can do it right now. As the Holy Spirit draws you in your spirit, tell God right now if that's you and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired of trying to find fulfillment in empty things. The only direction in life worth finding is through the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus. Tell God right now in your spirit, if you're serious, say, Dear God in heaven, I know I'm wicked. I know I've sinned. And I am so sorry for all my sins. Please come into my heart and save me right now. Thank you. You just did it, Lord. Tell him, say, Lord, I will live for you with the help of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I want to lead others to you. And I will make a public declaration by following you in baptism as soon as I can. In Jesus' name I pray. And for those real quick, you're already a follower, you're already a believer, but God's convicted you because you've never even attempted to personally lead somebody to Jesus. I want you just to tell God, tell him this, say, God, I'm totally dependent on you. It scares me to death. The thought of sharing my faith, my testimony, my before, my how I met you, and since I met you. It scares me to death, the thought of leading somebody personally or attempting to lead somebody personally to you. God asked him, say, God, would you remove that fear? Because I'm not to have it. I'm not to have a spirit of fear. And God, would you get me out of the way? And would you do through me what you did for me? Would you give me the courage? Would you take away all the excuses? And would you lead me, Father, to be used to lead people to you? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. See, here's the deal. This is more than a message. Because opportunity is going to come with it. November the 15th, we're praying. We're praying absolutely that revival would fall in the city of Birmingham and in the outskirt areas. I believe it's going to start in the outskirts and move to the city personally. But we are praying for revival. I say we, it's a group of, of pastors that are coming together. God's bringing them all together. Different, different pastors from di all different denominations, different, different races, different backgrounds. And we are getting serious about the reason God's left us. We're praying for revival. And your very first opportunity where you can come and you, you can be trained and you can go and you can say, I'm going to lead somebody to Jesus. You'll have an opportunity to do that on November the 15th if you really want to do it. You just tell me. You just come to me and say, hey, man, give me the details. I'm in. On a Sunday afternoon, we're just going to go down. We're going to receive a time of training. And we're going to go out. And we're going to start leading people to Jesus. I pray your spirit's moved to be a part. And then we're going to do it in our Jerusalem. May it be a little bit different how we do it and how we love on them at first. But there'll be other times we go into cities and neighborhoods.
where we'll go strictly in looking for divine appointments to lead people to Jesus. So just search your heart. Ask God to search your heart. And then tell God you want to be a part because I know it's His will, all right? Hey, I love you, church. Can we just stand and celebrate who God is? And if you, hey, if you pray that prayer today, you've got to let somebody know. I mean, if it was the real deal, you have got to let somebody know if you prayed and asked Jesus into your heart. You say, how do I do that, Pastor? Well, first of all, we would never embarrass you. And it's not an embarrassing thing to come down here and grab, grab a counselor over here. I'll be over to the side. You can also take that Connect card you received and put your information and put, I accepted Jesus today. And check baptism. I want to be baptized. Some of you here may have got baptized as a child, realized you didn't understand salvation, got saved as a teenager or as an adult, but never got your baptism on the correct side of a real salvation. And if that's you, you check baptism on that card and we'll baptize you and get that in the right order the way God would have it to be. Love you. Let's sing. We're going to participate in an act of worship by giving, by, hey, let me, by, by bringing, okay? Faith family, faith family members, that's for you. Guest, all we ask is your connect card, decision card. Faith family members, this is an act of worship. Don't let this wig you out. Don't, don't let this be an excuse, even if you're a guest, of saying, well, I can't believe, I can't believe they wanted my money. It's not yours, okay? If you're a faith family member and you're a believer, you don't, you don't give a tithe. You either bring God what's his or you steal. That's scripture, guys. I'm mandated to tell you the truth. That's scripture. So allow God to move your heart if you're a faith family member and say, God, stretch me in every way. Stretch my dependence and trust. And you bring God what is his own in obedience. And as the Spirit moves your heart to give above the ministry, missions, whatever, you give above with a cheerful heart. Father, we love you. We praise you. Your presence has been here. The truth, God, has been made known through you, the living word. And God, we thank you for the lives that were changed today. God, I thank you for the believers, Father, that Lord said, God, I need you and I'm going to start attempting and God, I'm going to lead people to you, Father. Empower us, encourage, Father, Lord, every person here, God. We love you, we worship you, and we praise you, God, in Jesus' name.